Be Christ's church. Impact the valley. Reach the world. All for the glory of King Jesus. Welcome to the North Roanoke podcast. Today, our lead pastor, Daniel Palmer, will be opening God's word for us. Our prayer is that you will encounter the living Lord as you hear his word proclaimed. Church, let's, uh, let's pray together. God, um, we thank you that Christ is the rock of ages, that in him we are shielded, that we are protected, we are hidden, that we have confidence. God, in, in the moments to come, we're going to consider what it looks like when you change somebody. We're going to consider what it looks like when you, when you get a hold of someone, when you interrupt their lives and show them the glory of your son. God, I, I pray that if there's anyone here today that is not hidden in Christ, whose, whose sins have not been covered and removed and forgiven, God, that you would, you would give life today. And God, for those of us who are in Christ, who know you, but, but maybe the, the toll of the last couple of years, or God, maybe it's been 10 or 20, where there's just been a despondency or a discouragement that has settled in. God, I pray today that you would open our eyes afresh to the glory of the King we are so blessed and privileged to serve. God, help me to preach well help us to listen well and may christ be magnified i pray it in jesus name amen acts chapter 9 acts chapter 9 we'll start in verse 1 we're going to look at the conversion and the commissioning of saul if I could retitle it, because that's, that's usually what happens to me. I, I set the title on Wednesday. We do the graphic design. And, and then by Friday, I'm like, I should have picked a different title. Um, in this text that we're about to read, Saul is converted and commissioned. But first, he's confronted by Jesus, right? So Saul is confronted, converted, and commissioned in the text that we are about to read. So if you have your copy of, of God's Word, and I sure hope you do, join me in Acts 9, beginning in verse 1, as we take a look at the radical, supernatural, life-changing power of God at work in Saul. Yes, that Saul, the Saul who was persecuting the church back in chapter 7. Would you hear with me the word of the Lord? But Saul... Still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why? Are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. 
But rise and enter the city, and you'll be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, here I am, Lord. The Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has the authority from chief pri- the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized and taking food. He was strengthened. We'll pause there halfway through 19 for today. Brothers and sisters, friends, we have just read one of the most important events in world history. You may not have gotten it in your Western Civ class, you may not have gotten it in your local high school. But the conversion and calling and commissioning of Saul is in large measure why you are sitting here today. Saul ends up being the apostle to the Gentiles, to people like you and me who are not ethnic Jews. This is a radically pivotal moment in the story of Acts. Somebody who's been trying to kill Christians becomes a Christian. So important is this event that it it occurs not just here, but we'll read about it again in chapter 22 and again in chapter 26. You say, well, I thought Jesus' resurrection was the most important event in world history. Yes, it is, but this is probably a close number two, because for you to know about the resurrection of Jesus, somebody had to tell you, somebody had to break the barriers of getting it just to Jews and had to get it to Gentiles, and, and Saul is used by God to do that. And at this point in the story, he's the last person on the planet that we would think that God would use to get the gospel to Gentiles, right? He, he's been persecuting the church. The church persecutor in this story suddenly becomes a church planter. The antagonist to the people of God becomes an apostle so that more people would become the people of God. The legalist is liberated. A murderer becomes a missionary. Did you know God can still change people like that? 
And it all happens because Jesus confronts and converts and commissions Saul. And while the the conversion of Saul and the commissioning of Saul is unique in its place in world history, there's still principles that we can learn from what happens to Saul that apply to any sinner who is saved by God. So today we're going to look at Saul and we're going to extrapolate from what happens in Saul's life what we should expect to see in anyone's life who goes from being a sinner to being a saved sinner. Aren't you glad that God saves sinners? I'm so thankful for a Savior who chases down sinners and stops them in their tracks and shows them their spiritual blindness and gives them new life and purpose forevermore. That's why we're here. The first thing I want you to see this morning is to belong to Jesus and and to be saved, you've got to belong to Jesus. You've got to be united to Him by saving faith. To belong to Jesus, we've got to understand there is only one way of salvation, no matter how sincerely you might pursue a different way. Jesus is the only way to be saved. At the end of chapter 8, the Ethiopian eunuch is saved, and Philip is spreading the gospel. Things are going well. The church is is advancing. And then in verse 1, boom, we read these words, but Saul. In other words, things are going really well, but this guy, Saul, he's still doing everything that he had been doing. Did you know Saul was not happy about the spread of the gospel? He's so upset that Christianity is advancing, that he's breathing threats and murder. Do you see that in verse 1? Against the disciples of the Lord. Murderous threats. Well, the disciples of the Lord, who are they? They're disciples of the Lord Jesus. They, They are learners of Jesus. They are ones who are following Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. They are the ones who are connected to him by faith, and they're following after him And Saul wants to stop it. He is so dead set on setting, uh, on stopping the advance of Christianity that he's essentially a psychopath. Uh, That's not hyperbole. Murder is his life. It is the air that he breathes. He is breathing murderous threats. With every breath that he takes, he's thinking about the annihilation, the elimination, the cancellation of Christianity. Murder is life to him. And we aren't told how, but the gospel, by chapter 9, has made it 135 miles north of Jerusalem to Damascus, where there are several synagogues and some people have come to saving faith in Jesus. So the church has been scattered through persecution back in chapter 8. Somehow the gospel gets to Damascus, and Saul is like, that's it. The Christianity can't get past Damascus. It can't go any further. we got to shut this down. So he gets permission from the high priest in Jerusalem to go to Damascus, find anybody that's following Jesus, and bring them back to stand trial in Jerusalem. Now here's what we got to understand, church. Saul sincerely thinks that he's doing the work of God. Saul is sincere, but he is sincerely wrong. 
He, he does not yet understand that those belonging to the way, verse 2, are the ones who are actually going in the right direction. They're going in the right direction because they belong to the living Lord Jesus who calls himself in John 14, 6, the way, the truth, and the life. And then he adds this, no one comes to the Father. No one belongs to God the Father except through Jesus Christ. Only Jesus can change our wicked hearts. Only Jesus can make us God's children. Only Jesus can give us access to the Father and a sure hope of everlasting life with God. Believers in Jesus are those who belong to the way, verse 2. And the Old Testament, the prophet Isaiah tells us about this way. He says that a, a day is coming when there's going to be a way that goes through the wilderness that provides life. Did you know that no matter what wilderness you find yourself in this morning, no matter what dry patch you're in, that if you are united to Christ, that there can be life in the wilderness of life? It's Jesus. Isaiah later in chapter 35 verse 8 says, that there will be a way in God's kingdom, listen to this, from which even fools would not depart. That there would just be this way that, that would hold fast to even those who would otherwise be fools. Aren't you glad that Jesus is that way? Aren't you glad that if you belong to Jesus, that even on your worst day, He still carries you, that His blood still covers your sin, that you are still accounted not on the basis of that big blow up or that mess up that you had on Friday night or Saturday afternoon, but that if you are in Christ, He cleanses you and He carries you and He sustains you and that He is the way that even when you act the fool... His grace is sufficient for you. If you belong to Jesus, even on your worst day, He carries you. When you play the fool, He brings you back and His blood still covers you. Because it isn't about what you could do or earn or gain. It's about what He did and accomplished at Calvary. And by the way, when you act the fool now, that sin, if you're in Christ, just doesn't satisfy like it used to. Because it's totally inconsistent with the way the truth and the life, the one who bought you at the price of his blood. Jesus is the one who changes hearts. Only Jesus is the way. All other ways are what Kellum calls misguided quests that end in eternal misery, no matter how sincerely we may pursue them. Saul was sincere, but he was wrong. Sincere faith in Jesus is the only sincerity that saves. Now, now, most of us, you're thinking this morning, but I've never been a murderer. I've never gone around breathing murderous threats that were life to me against Christians or anybody else. Maybe not. But we are all every bit as flawed and sinful and misguided and wicked as Saul was. The Bible reveals to us that we are born with hearts that are set against Jesus. This is why Jesus says we must be born again. No one goes to heaven with the heart that they are born with. You must receive a new heart. Saul will go on to write that apart from Christ, because Saul gets changed, right? 
And then we start to call him Paul and not Saul. And he writes a bunch of letters in the New Testament. And this guy who's in, had this rattly, radical encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus, he'll write over in Ephesians 2 that we are all, apart from Christ, dead in our trespasses and sins. I, I hope if you're dead today in trespasses and sins that you'll come alive through faith in Jesus. He'll go on to say in Philippians chapter 3 that he weeps over those who do not know Christ because, listen to this, they walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. So to be saved, we must not resort to trying to make our own way where there is no way. We must instead come to Jesus. We must embrace with no conditions the one who made a way where there was no way by coming to be our way, King Jesus. Tim Keller says it this way, Jesus cannot just be liked. His claims make us either kill him or crown him. Is Jesus your king? For Saul, he wanted to kill Jesus, and he wanted to kill Jesus' people. But then verse 3 happens. And what we see beginning in verse 3 is to belong to Jesus, we must encounter the risen King Jesus and be humbled by Him. We must encounter the risen King Jesus and be humbled by Him. In verse 3, Saul is going on his way. Do you see that? <laughs> Jesus is the way, but Saul is on his way. And suddenly he encounters the resurrected, ascended, living Lord Jesus. Other passages clarify for us that Saul doesn't just see light, but he sees Jesus himself. In Acts 22, verse 6, we learn that the light appeared, by the way, at high noon. So this light, this glorious light of Jesus outshone the sun. And it shone all around him. It was flashing around like lightning. It, it got his attention. And in verse 4, remember, it's noon. And this light is so attention-grabbing that he falls to the ground. His fall was literal, but it is a fall that is symbolic for all of us. When we encounter the glory of God in the face of Christ, 2 Corinthians 4, 6, all of us, our first move, spiritually speaking, is down. Jesus humbles us. Jesus is in the business today of still saving sinners who are going the wrong direction. He comes to us. How, how do we encounter Jesus today if he's not showing up on the road to Damascus? Where do we encounter Christ? We encounter him in the hearing of the word of the Lord. We encounter him by the Spirit of God when we hear the word of God showing us the Son of God and our need for him. And when he comes, when sinners see who Jesus truly is, he breaks us over our sin. He breaks us over our wicked disregard of him. Continuing in verse 4, Jesus asks Saul, do you see it? Why are you persecuting me? Now, this is an interesting question, right? Because Saul is persecuting the church. But Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? Do you understand the great hope? If 
if Saul is persecuting the church, he's also persecuting Jesus. How identified is Jesus with this family? How identified is Jesus with his local church? How identified is he with us? He sees that which happens to us as that which happens to himself. Jesus answers Saul's question when he says, Who are you, Lord? Jesus identifies himself, and then for the rest of the passage, Jesus does the talking. What does Jesus say? It's, it's emphatic in the Greek language. He says, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. So Saul, as Marita writes, is quivering on the ground before the blinding glory of Jesus, and then he's suddenly made aware that he's on the wrong team. Uh, you're on the wrong side, Saul. I'm King Jesus. You've been attacking my people, and when you attack my people, you're attacking me. Now, that's really bad news for Saul, right? This is not what you want to hear from the, the risen king of glory. <laughs> You've been attacking me. But it is great news for the church. It's great news for the church because it means that Jesus takes attacks on his church personally. When Jesus says, not even hell, the gates of hell will prevail against his church, you can bank on it. Because when people come against the church of God, they're coming against Christ. And Christ will see to it that his church prevails. Now, we may suffer and endure hardship and adversity along the way, but the church will endure. Now, here's, a, here's an important point, just pastorally, a quick aside this morning. If Jesus sees attacks on his church as attacks on him, then how does he feel about indifference towards his church? If attacking the local church is an attack on Christ, then is it not true that indifference towards your local church is indifference towards Christ? What are you saying, Pastor? Here's what I'm saying. You can't live the Christian life in isolation. You can't say, I love Jesus, but I don't want to be with Jesus' people. Jesus knows if you're following godly leaders. He knows if you're supportive or subversive. He knows if you're grumbling or if you're giving. He's fully aware of your relationship with your local church and whether your heart is in it and you're passionate to see a church be a disciple-making, disciple-making factory or whether you're just there for yourself or whether you're somewhere in between. But your relationship with your church is intimately connected to your relationship with King Jesus. You say, why'd you say that, Pastor? Well, some of you are here and you're considering membership. We would love you. If you know Christ and you've been saved by Christ and you're walking with Christ as the way, the truth, and the life, we'd love you to join Team North Roanoke and go all in for this family, recognizing that that is a way that you go all in for Jesus. You can't separate Jesus' life from church life. They are connected. And for some of you who, maybe you're a part of North Roanoke and, and you've been sitting on the sidelines and COVID has sort of upset the rhythms of your walk with Christ and you're like, man, I, I, I'm just lost and undone. It's, it's time to get back in. It's time to get back into a 3D group. It's time to serve again. It's time to risk things again for the glory of God. Are, are y'all here? I'm not sure if this is working today. Y'all are a little bit sleepy. But we, 
We got one life, we got one shot, we got one king, and the way we serve our king primarily is in community with the local church. And when we say, eh, to the local church, we're also saying, eh, to Jesus. Now, Jesus could have just taken Saul out. He's been killing Christians. (laughs) He's the resurrected king of glory. But what does Jesus do instead of of taking him out, which he would have been well within his rights to do? He says, get up and go, verse 6. Rise and go. Where did we last see the words rise and go? We saw him back in chapter 8 when he told Philip to what? Get up and go from Samaria down to see the Ethiopian eunuch. Man, this language sounds a lot like God wants to do something special with Saul rather than kill Saul. He's going to get Saul on the inside of the great commission of getting the gospel to other people. I'm so glad that God can take a murderer and make him a missionary. Verse 7, Luke mentions the other people who are traveling with Saul. This lets us know that Saul didn't just make up the encounter, right? He didn't just suddenly decide that he was going to follow Jesus, but Jesus encountered him and made a difference in his life. A real encounter with Jesus, by the way, is what will change you. A real encounter with the living Lord Jesus, you can't walk away unchanged when you really encounter the living Lord Jesus Christ. This is important theologically, right? Saul didn't just wake up one day and decide to stop being a murderer. He didn't just wake up one day and be like, I think I need to go to anger management class. He was walking to Damascus to find more Christians to ruin their lives. And instead, he ran headlong into Jesus, who interrupted the regularly scheduled programming of his life. And Jesus changed him forever. Jesus saved him. Jesus confronted him and convicted him and interrupted him. And it's good news that Jesus is the one who saved him. Because if Jesus saves you, you can't unsave you. If you saved yourself, you can unsave yourself. There's some churches out there that say you can lose your salvation. You can't lose your salvation if Jesus saved you. Jesus doesn't undo what Jesus did. Wouldn't make any sense. I'm going to save Bob for a time, and then Bob's going to lose his salvation. No, if you really encounter Christ, if Jesus really shows up in your life when you're on your way to do your way, and he interrupts your life in the hearing of the gospel, and the Spirit of God convicts you over your sin, and you see yourself as you truly are, and you see him for who he truly is, you will be changed. You will fall down at his feet in the hearing of his voice, in the beholding of his glory, and he will change you. These traveling companions heard a voice. But in chapter 22, it's clarified for us. They can't make out the words. And and here it's clarified that they can't see Jesus. But there's a a sound. There's like a, a mumbling that they hear. They hear something. And then they see Saul fall down. And in verse 8, he loses his sight. So they lead him by the hand to Damascus, where for three days he could not see. Saul is blinded and he begins to fast. Now, get this picture. These guys are following Saul, and now Saul is following them. Come on, Saul, it's going to be all right. All the way the rest of the way to Damascus. 
I can't think of a, a better picture of humility. Then the roles have been reversed and he is utterly dependent on the people around him to be led to the city that God is going to allow him to go to. You, you see this shift in the story is massive. This is what happens when God gets a hold of a life. The one who was seeking orders to take out the people of God is now seeking orders from God. Is now taking orders from God. The leading persecutor of the church is now led by the hand to Damascus. The one who was on his way to humiliate Christians has now been humbled by Christ. Christians are not Christians, by the way, because they're nice. Christians are Christians because they've been made new by encountering Jesus. Christians are not Christians because they've been good enough, not because they were born into a Christian family, and certainly not because they reformed themselves. We can't make ourselves into Christians, not by what we know, not by what we learn, not by who we who we know, not by where we go, what religious rites we practice, not because we got baptized, not because we took the Lord's Supper. We can't be confirmed into Christianity. We must be converted into Christianity, and Jesus must change us. We must be born again. That's the testimony of Scripture, is it not? John 3, 3, 1 Peter 1, 3, we are born again. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 and Galatians 6, 15, we are new creatures. We've been recreated by the grace of God in Christ. And Titus 3, 5, we must be regenerated by the Holy Spirit of God. Did you know in the moment you encounter Christ in saving faith that the Spirit of God places you in Jesus? That's how God sees you like Jesus rather than like yourself. He so unites you to Christ that his death counts in your place and that his resurrection life is now placed in your heart that now your affections and your ambitions are totally different because you want to live for Christ. Tim Keller says it this way, Christianity is not something you add to your life. It is an explosion that changes everything you had. Has your life ever been a picture of the explosive saving power of God? Has your life ever been a picture of the explosive saving power of God? Have you encountered the risen King Jesus? Have you been changed? Lost sinners become saved sinners when Jesus graciously interrupts their lives, when He humbles them, and when He transforms them on the inside. Now for those of you in this room who have encountered Christ in salvation, He probably did not do it while you were walking down a road to Damascus. Although there is a Damascus in Virginia, down 81. So maybe you were on 81 South, and you heard a gospel program, and maybe got, you encountered Christ in saving faith on the way to, to Damascus. But for most of us, we were not on the road to Damascus when Jesus interrupted our lives. But guess what? When Jesus interrupted your life, like Saul, you were all on the road to damnation. But you finally heard the gospel for real. 
It finally landed in your heart. It wasn't just facts in your head. You finally saw yourself as condemned and under the righteous wrath of a holy God. And you, for, you finally saw that this king came and did for you what you could never do for yourself. And in the hearing of the gospel, the Spirit opened your eyes to see that you had been so spiritually blind. He opened your eyes to behold the beauty and the glory of a king who was pursuing you like you've never been pursued before, and you bowed in humble adoration of this king, ready to learn his way and live for him no matter the cost. And when, you, when that happened in your life, that's called conversion. God changed you. Jesus graciously strikes Saul with blindness so that Saul can finally see. Saul sees that Jesus is the Lord. He sees that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament promises during these three days. He sees that Old Testament laws could never save him. He sees that he could never be good enough to get God's favor. He sees that he must belong to Jesus who died for sin and rose on the third day. We know that Saul, despite his physical blindness, is beginning to see. Why? Because he fasts. Fasting is often a sign of repentance, and it can also be a way of preparing to hear more from God. And in this case, I believe it's both. Saul is finally broken and open to having his life built totally in Jesus. Because for the Christian church, Jesus is not just a ticket out of hell and then I'll go do the same things I did on the weekend. I'll go live with, in the same way that I always lived. Jesus is not like a fire insurance policy. Now, he is fire insurance. <laughs> you will avoid the fires of hell if you're in Jesus, but he's so much more than that. To truly know Jesus is to get a new life. It's to get new desires and ambitions and convictions and power to live for Him. He is life right now. What kind of life? He is giving us communion with God. He came so that we could be reconciled to God. Sin separated us from the love of God. And Jesus came and became sin and was condemned as a sinner, even though He wasn't a sinner, so that your sin could be paid for with His death, and that in the resurrection life that He has, that He would literally change you on the inside. That God would do a miracle on the inside. That He would reset the defaults of your heart so that you would want to chase hard after God, that you could know God, that you could love God, that you could know that God loves you. Is that real for you today? That's conversion. It is not just I prayed a prayer, signed a card, got wet, got dunked, and then didn't really have much to do with the church or lived differently thereafter. That's not Christianity. And if that's your testimony with all my heart today, I beg you to be saved I beg you to see the glory of Christ and to say, I'm tired of a halfway, double-minded life. I want to live for Jesus wholeheartedly. I want to be pure. I want to be clean. And when I mess up, I want to be on a team that will challenge me and confront me and encourage me so that I'll come back to my king. That's what I want for us today. We've, we've preached this quick easy believism Christianity. People have signed cards. There are millions of Americans across this country who think they know Jesus who've never encountered him in glory. 
They have not really been changed. And I'm a pastor's kid. I grew up in a church and I churches got so passionate about growing and we should want to grow. But they kind of skirted on the gospel and they they wanted to make it so simple and so easy and and there's a level at which it is simple and is easy. All you have to do is believe. All you have to do is repent. But you've got to be repenting and believing in the glorious king and creator of the universe that you rebelled against. And he came on a rescue mission and pursued you with his love. That will change you. It is life-giving to really know and belong to God. Tozer said this, The church will come out of her doldrums when we find out that salvation is not a light bulb only. That it is not an insurance policy against hell only. But it is a, listen to this, it is a gateway into God. And God is all that we would have and can desire. Do you desire God this morning? More than marital success, more than career success, more than your next degree, more than theological knowledge and attainment, do you have a passion to know God? Saul was broken by Jesus so that he could be united with Jesus. He did nothing to deserve Jesus graciously interrupting his life. And that is great news, church. We can't save ourselves, but Jesus can save sinners. He can save sinners from all kinds of backgrounds and all types of sins. And he does it when we behold him in the hearing of the gospel and we are broken over our sin in selfish and self-serving ways. And get this, church, lastly... Because salvation is an unearned and undeserved gift, we need to understand that Jesus can change the most hardened sinners, bringing them into God's family to grow God's family. We can understand, we need to understand that Jesus can bring the most hardened sinners into God's family to grow God's family. Do you believe Jesus can save anybody? Man, woman, child. In verse 10 through 19, we, we meet another Ananias. Do you remember the name Ananias from Acts chapter 5? The last Ananias was struck dead by God for lying to the Holy Spirit by misrepresenting to the church what he was giving to the church. This Ananias, for a moment, wonders if he's going to be the next dead Ananias in Acts. Because the Lord Jesus comes to him and says, Go see Saul. And when Ananias is confronted by the Lord, he says, Here I am, Lord. He reminds us of several other Old Testament saints who were ready and willing and available to obey. Here I am means he's ready to do whatever Jesus wants. And then Jesus gives the instructions, hey, go to the street called Straight, go to this house, and then go see this guy, Saul of Tarsus. Say what? Lord, I was ready to do whatever you wanted. And then you said, go see Saul. At the end of verse 11, end of verse 12, Jesus explains, you see, you see, Ananias, Saul isn't planning murder anymore. Behold, Saul is praying 
Furthermore, he's blind, and he's expecting you to come lay your hands on him and and restore his sight. And at this point, in verses 13 and 14, Ananias reminds Jesus who Saul is. In case Jesus forgot. Ananias is ready to obey, but he's also understandably a bit fearful. He's wondering, perhaps a blind Saul might just be better than a seeing Saul because, you know, arrests and murder and all that stuff. It's one thing, church, to say that we will obey, and it's another thing to obey when obeying means taking a risk. It's one thing to say we will obey our king, and another thing to do it when it costs us something. You know, it's not easy to repent of our sins when we hurt hurt a brother or sister, but that's what we're commanded to do. It's not easy to forgive a brother or sister who's hurt us, but who genuinely comes seeking repentance. But we're supposed to forgive because we've been forgiven so much more. It's not easy to change where you've always been worshiping and to sit in a new seat so that we have more room for more people that God might send our way. Following a king who died to give his life for us will sometimes take sacrifices from us. In human terms, what God asks Ananias to do is nuts. It's crazy. But in verse 15, the Lord says to him, go. And in verse 17, Ananias goes and he does exactly what God commands. Ananias puts his life on the line for Saul. He puts his neck out there for the salvation of Saul. Let me ask you, North Roanoke Baptist Church, who will you stick your neck out for so that they might have saving faith in Christ? Or let's reverse it. Who would you not stick your neck out for so that they might have the opportunity to come to saving faith in Christ? Ananias goes to see a guy that wants to arrest and murder Christians just 30 minutes ago or three days ago. And he sticks his neck out in faith and he does what God calls him to do. And the reality is today there are some who claim to be Christians who won't even give up their seat for somebody that God wants to save. But not Ananias. Ananias understands that Jesus can save anybody. He risks it all and he doesn't doesn't go to him begrudgingly. Look at verse 17. He calls Saul a brother. If Jesus says you're saved, then you're my brother. Don't miss that. In a moment, Saul goes from being against the community of Christ to being a part of it. When God changes someone, He really changes them. He makes them new and He gives them a new family and we are that family. Do you believe, North Roanoke Baptist Church, that Jesus still uses the church in the process of welcoming hardened sinners to join the family of God? Did you know, North Roanoke, that as God grows us, And we bring back the parking team and the greeting team and the ushering team. That we are doing everything that we can to eliminate barriers and cooperate with the Holy Spirit in bringing people to our King. It's why we're meeting in this sanctuary rather than in that sanctuary. This sanctuary is more accessible. We can seat more people. And more people in this valley need to come to a saving encounter with King Jesus, do they not? I'm still not sure you're here this morning. 
Did you know there's more square footage here than over there? Did you know that where the people of God are is where the Spirit is? You're in the sanctuary this morning. God is in this room because the Spirit of God is wherever His people are. We are here this morning, like Ananias, sticking our necks out, saying, God, do whatever you need to do to stir within this valley and save more people. Here's our obedience. Our yes is on the table. We'll do whatever you want, Jesus, because you've shown us in Saul and you've shown us in my life that if you can save me, you can save anybody, and you will use me as a part of the process of saving people. Jesus calls Christians to do uncomfortable things to cooperate with Him in bringing people into His kingdom. The Lord works through Ananias to fill Saul with the Holy Spirit, who then cures Saul's blindness. It is this same Holy Spirit who performs a miracle in our hearts, uniting us with Jesus and giving us His perspective and power to pursue Jesus and His mission in the world. So Saul is baptized representing his death and life in Christ. And then he eats a good meal. Because fasting for three days is not fun. Right? You're a little hungry after three days. Why does he eat? Why does the Bible tell us that he ate? Of course he ate. It was a three-day fast. It was the end of the third day. Of course he ate. And yet the Bible says he ate. Why in the world does the Bible say that? Because he's got a job to do. He's got a reason to live. What do people do when they, when they start dying? They stop eating. They stop drinking. For three days, Saul was dying to himself. And on the third day, after encountering Jesus and receiving the Spirit of God and seeing who he was and who Jesus is, he had every reason to eat Because he had a mission that God had placed him into. And he was given an incredible mission. Verse 15, God would use him as a chosen instrument or a vessel to carry the name of Jesus to Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. Saul had sought to make Christians suffer because they followed the name. And now he would gladly suffer so that others would call upon Jesus' name. Friends, if you know Jesus, he saved you. To send you. If you are saved, He's given you a mission and a place, and you may not become a missionary like Saul, but we must all be willing to become uncomfortable like Ananias for the good of those who still need to know Jesus. And if you're in this room and you're going the wrong way, my prayer is that today Jesus would show up in your mess. He would humble you, and He would save you. And that you would find that there's nothing like knowing and following King Jesus because He gave His life for your sin, and He pursues you with His love. I pray today that you would behold Christ, bow the knee of your heart, and trust in Him. I pray that we would leave converted and commissioned for the glory of Christ our King. Would you pray with me? God in heaven, I I pray that we would 
for those who know you today, that we would be more serious about the gospel, that we would be more devoted to your church as an act of obedience and love for Christ. And God, for those who don't know you, may, maybe they've thought that they knew you, but they, it's been a lifeless reality. God, there's been no explosive transformation brought by the power of God in their life. God, I pray today that if, if there's anyone within the sound of my voice that doesn't know you, that you would show up. God, not that they would just hear more words and more sermons, but that you would show up and they would give their lives to you. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the North Roanoke podcast. You can connect with us at northroanoke.org or download our app in your device's app store. Just search for North Roanoke. We hope to meet you soon.